Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. I am sitting in my new office that looks like a bomb went off in it. We are in the process of moving. Every room of the house looks crazy. We still don't have all of our stuff from the other apartment to the house. It's just, ugh, I can't even, I can barely think straight. I'm also not feeling well. So, you know, of course, the universe gave me a cold in the middle of all this. The one thing that I have been able to do is I got um, Ouija board light switch covers, and I have installed those. And that was very exciting. Yesterday, we did like the major big stuff move with movers and uh, it was so much. I'm so tired, mommy. Anyway, I'm not going to do a long intro here because I don't even have my recording stuff up. Like I said, I'm, I'm not even in a place to be doing this at this time, but I promised you that I would let you hear from the wonderful Lonnie Scott. Lonnie and I had a conversation, geesh, a really long time ago now. I've been hoarding these interviews for so long. Also, just know I'm not editing this. You're going to get all of the like breaths and coughs and everything. I just don't have time to edit this right now because honestly, like I said, I don't even, I don't even think I have like a proper um, thing, like cord to plug in my computer. I, I don't even know where that is, so I bet I should probably hurry. Lonnie and I, we chatted a while ago, and we've become great friends ever since. He's been helping us with so many amazing projects. hes I can't give away too much, but he's involved in some of the TV web series projects that we're working on. So yeah, he if y'all don't know who Lonnie Scott is, you absolutely should. Um, he's an occultist, a pagan, strategic sorcerer. Chaonomist and heathen. He's been doing this work for a long ass time, many, many, many years. He's also a professional hypnotist, and this might be where you recognize his name from. Um, he was on Hellier. If you're not familiar with Hellier, go watch it. It's so good. Such a fascinating way to investigate the paranormal that's refreshing and very different from what the standard paranormal TV episode is like or TV, or show is like, really. He's also the host of Weird Web Radio, which is his paranormal and occult podcast. And um, on those shows, he usually does interviews, I believe, once a month. And he will talk with people about ghost hunting, paranormal investigations, mediums, divination, a lot of the stuff that we talk about on here. And he's just got a really fresh take on things. And yeah, you should definitely check out his show. If you're wanting to get hypnotized, I would definitely recommend going to him. He is fantastic. Also, if you're wanting to do something weird like a past life regression slash hypnotism, something like that, he is your guy. All right, I'm going to stop talking now because I'm delirious, <laughs> but enjoy this conversation I have with Lonnie. We talk about his earliest experiences with the occult, his time with Hellier and what he experienced there, and his opinions about 
hypnotism in relation to that show and otherwise. Uh, he also talks about some weird shit that happened to him. Because, you know, we always like to talk about that. So, <laughs> hold on to your ding-dang-dong butt. <laughs> anyway, here's Lonnie and me. Hello, Lonnie, my old friend. Hi, Finn. How are you doing? All right. How are you doing? I'm good. It's so good to see you again. You too. What's new? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> the things. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, we have a lot I want to talk about, and we might have to break this up into two. <laughs> so fine. I usually like to start by just asking about your woo background. Like, mm-hmm. I know that you identify as a pagan heathen sorcerer. I forget. Chaonimus heathen sorcerer. That's the down, dirty, sexy title. <laughs> there it is. There it is. So when did you get into magic work? Like, wh- when did that happen? Like, were your parents practitioners? Did you come by it because you were rebelling? You know, how, how did it happen? So we're officially into story time. Oh, we're going. We're going. But All we're right. gonna, But it's just going to be a normal chat. Uncle okay. Lonnie. No, I got Uncle <laughs> That's what I call everyone. I call everyone uncle. <laughs> uh, I dig it. So how did I get into magic and this sort of thing? The uh, Bible that sat under like underneath the coffee table and just collected dust and no one ever dared crack the spine of that thing. <laughs> you stub your toe on it. <laughs> That's about it. Um, and they, and they had the picture of the, the white guy on the wall in the, Roman gear. <laughs> that white guy on the wall. <laughs> yeah, it, they didn't know they were they were like the Simpsons when they painted that thing. It was like, you know, here's you and McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi starring yeah. near in your home as Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Sounds they're, every, right. they're everywhere. So, that that was the extent of like the religious official upbringing that I had. Uh, I always had a curiosity, though, especially as I got older in my teens, like what else is out, what really is out there. And I was curious about spirits and things just because weird stuff. I was always interested in horror movies when I was a kid. And, well, why can't I find a book that has an eye in it <laughs> and that summons zombies and shit? Where are those at? You know? book. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my friends and I were crazy. Like, I will, because I convinced them, like, let's there's a big mausoleum in the city cemetery. So BB guns and pellet guns make perfect sense because they're accessible in the eighties. They're just everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, off to the cemetery we go, you know, before bedtime, of course, (laughs) we're going to catch the vampire when he comes out of the mausoleum and it worked. And no vampires. (laughs) So you end up shooting at each other. I'm trying to remember who I got it from. I'm pretty sure his name, it was uh, this guy, Chuck, that I met along the way, who ended up being pretty important later. I get a book called uh, Celtic Magic by DJ Conway. It's garbage. <laughs> it's, it's total garbage. And DJ Conway, if you're still alive and out there, shame on you for writing it. No, <laughs> I kid. It is bad, but it was it was my gateway in, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I always like, like to point that out because even the bad shit has some kind of value in it. No, yeah. you're never going to open up a book that's perfect from end to end. And the worst ones might have something in there. So it is what it is. 
I just got curious. Like, so how do you pronounce these weird names of these gods and goddesses? How did, I didn't know there were all these other gods and goddesses. The idea that you could light a candle, say some words, you know, in a specific time or a specific place with certain things and get a desired result out of it. That was new. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, let's try that shit out. Nothing really worked for me, I guess, necessarily because I wasn't trying all that hard. I was just reading until I decided to fight back against some of my upbringing. My dad, when I was young, was an alcoholic and he was very violent and he was very abusive. And I mean, that stopped a little after I got into this shit. I sometimes wonder because my first real desperate attempt at a magical result was cursing him. And it worked to my opinion and knowledge. It works. What happened? He fell off a ladder. (laughs) My God. Did he die? No. Later, (laughs) he made it to 2014 and we got along much better by then. So that was my first real attempt into magic. I share kind of like a personal side of that because I never used to tell the more detailed part of it, but I think it's important the older I get because I came into magic as a means of Mm self-defense and I don't remember, I didn't get that curse out of Celtic magic. Uh, I got my hands on other little shitty paperbacks (laughs) before we got to that point. I can't remember. We found it, Christopher Oropello, and I hunted it down because he had it too when we were talking about this. The complete book of magic and witchcraft. It was terrible that I remember. (laughs) It was incomplete. But it was evil, you know, like that's what it felt like. But like, this is power. And that's where I get it. And I, I piece together this idea. And of course, you're full of rage and emotions and you just want shit to stop. Yeah. And that's that's the direction I went. And things were different after that. Beyond that, it's just what else is out there? Because like this isn't I don't think I, I've ever satisfied that itch, to be honest. Like I'm always looking for what else is out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like what mysteries have I yet to uncover? How How do other people approach these mysteries? How do they get things to work? So, you know, when I was young, I was off to the library. What books do you think, do they have? Not much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we had a little Walton books in our mall back then. And I miss that thing. Uh, it's been gone for quite some time. Well, they had a whole Sylvia Brown shelf because that's, that's what they had back then. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> some Avon paperbacks of the Necronomicon. You better believe I got to my hands on that. <laughs> <laughs> LaVey's Satanic Bible, at it. <laughs> loved it, actually. When I was a kid, I loved that. Scott Cunningham, of course, had all those other, you know, his Wicca books. I remember Llewellyn had this, what was it called? Little paperback called like The Truth About Witchcraft, I think. Mm-hmm. And on the cover, it had this woman in a business suit. <laughs> like she was walking down the street. <laughs> what? Yeah. I is just it was a weird time. Yeah. I, I I mean, I don't for people who weren't coming up in the like late 80s, early 90s into this kind of stuff, there was a real concerted effort, I think, to take the teeth out of witchcraft and paganism to make mm-hmm. it look safe. Like we're yeah. just like you. You know, we just <laughs> love flowers and trees <laughs> and, and pantsuits. <laughs> and pantsuits. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Wicca 101, flowers, trees, and pantsuits. <laughs> so good. So I mean, and I was a pretty angry teenager. I had a lot of reasons to be angry. 
um, none of that was satisfying my my needs. I wanted something that made me feel like I had power, that I had sovereignty, that I had a choice in the outcome of my life because I didn't feel like I had any of that. And I found it through my studies in the occult for sure. For sure. I learned the skills to deal with my anger. I learned how to manage anxiety and depression and all those other things. And a lot of people don't like hearing it. I learned that shit from books about witchcraft and magic and psychic development and you know all the what was that one creative visualization i bet everybody out there had that one but it just taught you how to meditate and visualize things it's i mean i'm a professional hypnotist now and the hypnosis instructor i'm telling you they're they're teaching you self-hypnosis in books like that how to control your emotions and manage your stress and your anxiety and really focus on the things that you want and how to build a real goal and oh by the way visualize the circle while you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like people don't yeah. really, like you said, I feel like people don't understand fully. And I, I don't even completely all the time, how embedded these concepts are in our culture. I mean, just mm-hmm. there's, we're doing magic all the time, but we don't, we don't call it that. And we don't want to call it that. I mean, I do, I'm fine with that, but like <laughs> the Royal, we, Right, yeah. the royal we, yeah, yeah. Um, Mitch Horowitz wrote this book, Occult America, and it's just an exploration of that kind of thing how these occult ideas have found their way into society over time and just sort of become embedded, and people don't realize where they came from, mm-hmm. what the origins of these things are, what they're really doing, and yeah. they just keep on trucking along, yeah, and they assume that they're. an alarming amount of humans say that it comes from Christianity. Like that's a Christian thing you're doing. That's a, you know, (laughs) it's always like the, that, well, that's obviously like a Jesus thing. And it's like, well, if you unpack that, it's never really a Jesus thing. Like it's almost never a Jesus thing. It's usually something pagan or something unrelated altogether to anything that has to do with Christianity. Yeah. You're walking down the street and see somebody digging a hole in their yard be like, yo, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm burying this statue of a saint so I can sell my house. Be like That's witchcraft. Be like, dude. Or Catholicism. <laughs> you get that idea? I'm like, yeah. I'm a Catholic. Why are you? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. I always say Catholics are witches, but they don't know it. That, yeah, probably. I don't know. I don't I don't know enough to pass such judgment one way or the other. However, yeah. like a witch, I think, could be anything they want. Um, you can find a witch in a Catholic church. You can find them in the woods. You can find them <laughs> you can, wherever. You can, <laughs> like, you can where, find them on a boat. You can yeah. find them on a house. <laughs> <laughs> we got Cajun shrimp. <laughs> we got all the witches. <laughs> yeah, we got all the witches. Witches from the south, witches from the from north. north. <laughs> what kind you have today? <laughs> That's great. So, yeah. you, so you came into this land of woo, as I call it, mm-hmm. because you wanted to feel powerful you wanted to be empowered and and, and so and that's pretty common i think w- w- when i interview people or or just have chats about the woo it's like there's something about witchcraft and and paganism and and these kinds of practices where it's centered in you being in charge of your reality you being in charge of well qu- quote unquote reality because that's complex but 
you know, what's manifesting in your physical realm, so to speak, or in your mental realm or in your (laughs) vibrational realm. I mean, it gets really hairy, but it's taking ownership of that. And um, I think some people think, oh, it's just, it's just empowering with, but there's also the other side, which is that you have to take responsibility for that power. Mm. And do you feel like, you know, you ever got to lopsided in that equation? Like, did you, do you, did you ever get a little like, oh, I've, I've gone too far in, in weird shit or I, <laughs> I'm, or, or not even that. How about like playing the victim? You know how, like you get into it and you're like, well, I can do all these things because I have all these tools. And then secretly like through the back door, you're, can, you still play the victim. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. It, it wasn't, it wasn't that easy to get the results you wanted, I think, especially when I was young. So I don't think I ever felt like I ever acquired that kind of fuck you power. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I still had to go home. I still had to mow the fucking yard. Yeah, yeah. I still, you know, like... <laughs> there was like no ba- like baby Voldemort yeah. in the making. Oh, yeah. no, not here. I tried. I was super angry. <laughs> I cannot I, I can't, emphasize enough. <laughs> nothing like being a 15 year old kid in the Midwest with a well at that time i had a pretty rocking ass mullet because it hadn't all grown out and you're gonna say that <laughs> yeah big long trench coat you know i thought i looked like a wizard standing in a cornfield in the middle of nowhere in this weird cemetery you found i'm like let's try this invocation to satan and i found in this paperback book <laughs> <laughs> in this paperback book did you now do you have, do you have siblings do you have siblings yeah i have a little sister uh, I have an older half sister, but you know, like from my dad's first marriage, but we've never really been all that close, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah my she, little sister I grew up with. Was she into this shit? Oh, or, no. was she, or was she like, no. what is wrong with you, Lonnie? She probably thinks there's something wrong with me. I remember. Still? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when my, when my dad died, we were arranging the funeral and all of that thing, you know, and we're sitting in the funeral home answering their questions. And my sister randomly goes, if you fucking die, like, what the hell are we supposed to do for you? <laughs> <laughs> what Said, did you it say? It won't be your problem. I'll, I'll derange yours. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So my then- instructions have been for the time being and for several years now, if I suddenly drop dead, contact the troth and tell them I've died and then tell them to send someone to help <laughs> take care of things. <laughs> yeah, please. I do not know what to do. <laughs> So do you, I forget if I asked you this in our like epically long pre-call, quote unquote, pre-call, <laughs> yeah. call, you, um, do you identify as a solo practitioner or tell me about, cause I don't even know what the truth is really. Is that your no. like order or is that just <laughs> sort of like an organization that you do shit, magic shit with? Everybody, like nine tenths of the truth listening members that may listen to this or you say is it an order just cringed oh, did they they Maybe. all were just like oh. yeah they just cringe and fart Man, i don't this want that <laughs> farting so, is an old icelandic spell <laughs> no i don't know just google it <laughs> you go i don't know <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, so, uh, so not an order, not an order. No. Uh, 
We hate the troth is an international heathen organization, inclusive heathen organization. It's important to make that distinction, sadly, in the world of heathenry. The troth, if you're a member of the troth, you have access to training programs like how to understand heathenry, how to you know, you, there's a lore program so you can study the myths and the sagas and, and all that fun stuff in a structured format with a group of other people who are all going through it at the same time. We have a clergy program to train people on how to be active, real clergy for their communities, um, which is a pretty thorough program. We're building an esoteric program to get more into the, the fun stuff in heathenry. That's not quite done. I think the coolest thing that the trope does, honestly, is uh, our publications. We put out uh, quite a lot of books, really. And as uh, Ben Wagner, he's the the head of the publishing department. He calls the big damn book, (laughs) (laughs) the third edition of our trope and all three volumes of that are now available out there which are truly the gold standard of both scholarship study and, and, and knowledge of what happened through the history of developing heathenry into the modern practices and what we know and don't know about the gods and goddesses and different kinds of spirits that we work with in heathenry. And it's also filled with stories from people who actually live it today, which is this beautiful infusion of both knowledge and here's how it's played out in someone's life, yeah. which I think is fantastic. All of those are available on Amazon, Lulu. Um, I'm sure your local bookstore could probably get it for you. They're well worth the investment. They're, I mean, they're big. <laughs> he calls them big damn books for a reason. Mm-hmm. So nice. So for my baby witch listeners and for me in general, because I've actually never spoken with someone who identifies as a heathen, mm-hmm. will you explain? what that means like you don't have to go in super in depth but just sort of like the basics sure heathen is a general term that covers basically anyone who's doing some sort of reconstructed or reimagined practice that involves the northern european gods goddesses approaches to ancestors elves dwarves the fun stuff, you know, like that, like a friend of mine, she, she just last night on a, on a zoom call was describing her house as like, they have an elf cult, <laughs> an, elf cult? an elf, an elf cult. I love that. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Cause That's elves aren't what you think they are folks. <laughs> oh no, they are neither yeah. are fairies. None of that shit is right. Yeah. yeah. That's a great band name, by the way. Elf tell cult? That. Elf cult. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll let her know. Um, so <laughs> So, and it was Cat Heath who said it. And Cat has a book out there called Elves, Witches, and Gods. So fucking good. Go get it. Um, and teaches a bunch of like one off courses online about elves and different really cool stuff that she finds. She's a genius. And we're lucky to have her. So, um, Last time, what was we, I saying? Yeah, you gave me a long list. Yeah, <laughs> side note of all these books, and now my mm-hmm. Amazon cart is like full of all yeah. of them. So, yeah, you're it'll take, welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. It's going to take me a while, but thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, meanwhile, you don't have to buy the books, you can go like Cat has a blog, yeah, com, and Morgan Daimler has a really good couple blogs on Pathios and one on their own sort of page if you want to get in elves and fairies like 
those are your two go-to sources for sure. And they'll continually just blow your mind with things that you just don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then when you should learn it, you can't unlearn it. It's like you can't unsee disaster and tragedy. <laughs> now yeah. you know they're watching you. Shit. Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as Kat likes to point out, elves have convinced humans to succumb to elven surveillance around the holidays. <laughs> That's to actually be happy about it. <laughs> Wait, what? Can you can yeah. you briefly unpack that? <laughs> yeah. So the elf on the shelf. Yes, the elf on the shelf. The people are pretty happy about it, and they put it in their house and torment their kids with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're if you're one of those elves, how, how can you not just love this? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> if elves just... exist and they're out there. <laughs> Listen, I have to say that I've always been freaked out by elf on a shelf. Like that's creepy. And oh, also manipulative. <laughs> it's it's fun. We have one in our house. Do I, you? Yeah. <laughs> I like to do because I have an older. <laughs> it's mostly for the younger. My youngest daughter. Uh, my stepson's older and he's in on it. He helps out and shit. Hopefully this is we don't have to do it this year. Um, <laughs> um, I, I like to torment him, though. I'll do things like I'll put the because you can't touch the elf once it's wherever it goes yeah. so I'll, I'll he likes to play Fortnite and all that crap with a keyboard and a mouse instead of like a game controller so i'll put the elf on his keyboard and put the mouse underneath that's <laughs> smart take a picture of it send it to him be like hostage <laughs> <laughs> you bad all right, heathenry. Back, I, heathenry. I, I took you on a side quest yeah heathenry heathenry is um well, it's those things I said and more. There are different traditions that express themselves in heathenry, all the way from like people who call them reconstructionists. They're super hardcore about the academic and the scholarship and they nitpick their way into specific details somewhere from the ye old heathen days and bring it forward and say, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> ye old. Ye old. Um, then there's people who are just happy to build a practice out of things that are inspired from the past and and develop something more meaningful for the present that's probably more akin to where i'm at okay then you have people who are like um cat who are all about their their practices really hyper focused and aware of elves and the all far that's one of the names for them and land spirits and things like that um, people, there are people who have much more ancestral practice and really don't give a fuck about gods and goddesses or any of that. And some of those folks will argue and they're right to a degree in certain areas and times The evidence points that that was more important to them anyway, in pre-conversion times that it may have been a more ancestral private practice that was concerned about ancestors and land spirits and elves. Um, and then you have like, um, and there's all sorts of ways. Uh, I apologize to Robert Schreier already for I'm probably going to fuck this up. He's he's developed this whole more Germanic practice called Erglava. It's something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, I have audio of him trying to teach me how to say it. We could play it on here, but. <laughs> He says Deech a lot. So when if you would just look at him, sometimes you think, what's that Amish dude doing with a cell phone? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm teasing Robert because he's great people. Um, but it's a he, he's got 
quite a movement going on. People are really getting something out of this and finding value and meaning in, in the practice that they've got out of or Glava. And it's a huge growing movement within heathenry that I think people should check out. Um, and then there's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different types there. There's also like witches who just may connect more with Freya, for example, as a goddess, then that th- those things bring up debates all the time. Like how heathen is that? Like, where is the boundary? It's yeah. where's the line on the furthest edge. that says, now you're not a heathen anymore. That's what I'm kind of getting yeah. at. And, right. And like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, why do you, and also why do you identify as a heathen, as opposed to, you know, what, what is the, like, where is that line with like somebody who identifies as a witch, but then like does some of the practices of, of a heathen, but doesn't want to identify as a heat, like that, mm-hmm. can that get really just hairy depending it on can. the, I mean, I've always kind of taken it to the farthest extreme I can think of. So if someone's out there casting a circle, calling quarters and elements, this is not anything in heathenry yet. Mm-hmm. But then they're like, Hail Odin. Okay, now we're getting into heathen territory. Okay. And be like, what's Odin look like to you? And be like, he's a crossdresser on a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> and uh-huh. I think, well, maybe, who knows? <laughs> I mean, there's evidence that suggests maybe. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Is that person heathen? Mm. I think it's up to them. Do they want to identify mm. as such? Then great. Come on in. Um, mm. If they don't, so be it. There have kind of been certain practices that have developed over the last few decades that have sort of solidified like an identifiable heathen ritual. So like one we call the bloat, which is a general offering to a specific God or goddess or group of them, or maybe the land spirits. It's got an occasion and a reason, you know, an mm. intent behind it. It's more of a celebration of uh, beneficial spirits or something and the blessing returning to the community. Then there is something we call the sumble. And the sumble is the drinking ritual, as some people call it. So it's usually done in three rounds. Used to be a horn passed around so everybody could get the sacred cold source. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Since COVID... People have become a little more aware of things. Yeah, yeah. And now it's, you know, the 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 liquid, the mead or whatnot gets put into a horn and then poured into your holy Dixie cup. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> your, Yeah, your holy solo cup. Yeah. Yeah. You don't show up with your own gear. Well, <laughs> You You get the solo cup, not even that. You get like the Dixie little baby, little like Listerine cup that you get. The beer tent shot cup. (laughs) Oh, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. So help people visualize here. So, you know, the drink is consecrated and, and held in a certain vessel. And the part of that ritual is to recognize it as the well. Mm-hmm. Capital T, capital W, the well that sits at the center of the multiverse at the foot of the great tree, Yggdrasil, right? The world tree where the Norns are doing their worth. Mm, and love them. Now we have ritually enacted this space and time as the words you speak are going directly to that well to be witnessed specifically by those Norns mm. at that tree. It carries that kind of ritual importance. 
Mm-hmm. So the words you speak are very carefully chosen. First round is usually honoring ancestors for whatever reason. Some people just say, Hey, Uncle Bob, <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, to long stories, uh, poems, songs, you get tears, people cry, people laugh, like it gets emotional. It's a community building ritual in a lot of ways because of this. The second round is usually gods and goddesses. There may be a rule or two you have to be aware of, depending on where you're at, who you're doing it with. Third round is usually more open and free, like whatever you want to do. Third round is where people get in trouble (laughs) because of oaths. Mm -hmm. An oath is a big deal in heathenry. It's hard to get a heathen to make an oath. If I hear somebody flinging promises around, I'm like, that's not a heathen. Some people in heathenry, certain traditions of heathenry, I don't want to name names <laughs> but there are Please. there are yeah there are <laughs> traditions of heathenry that get really really into this and have different rules and it kind of all goes back to how people interpret the description of a symbol in beowulf some people say it can't be done outside it has to be done indoors or it's not a symbol mm, you're wrong <laughs> I said so. First rule of heathenry, folks, you're doing it wrong. Second rule, (laughs) you are not the boss of me. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's my first rule. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're they're very chaos magic at heart. (laughs) So I think Mm -hmm. that's why I like them. Oaths have to be cleared. uh, And usually it's because if there's going to be an oath made, then some people of certain traditions will want to leave. Mm -hmm. They They don't want to be witness to your oath in a sacred time and space like that because they believe that by witnessing your oath in that time and that place that they are bound to the outcome of your oath and if you fail to accomplish what you set out to do then it damages your luck and if you're witness to that it damages your luck as well right now i've always i don't care i'll never care i don't i'm not I've never been one of those people. I'll witness your oath. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> I joke about it though. I'm like, I've been to how many weddings? I'm 45 years old. I've seen lots of friends get married, divorced, and married again at this point. So I've, I've, they all made oaths that they broke when they got divorced, right? Mm-hmm. But then I think, you'd be like, well, I've never been married. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's something to this. Yeah. No, <laughs> who knows? So I, I just leave it be. Like, if, if people want to exit, then they can exit. The, yeah. the safest thing to do generally is to tell people, unless it's your kindred, your your own personal group, then let's let's leave the oaths out of it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to sort of wrap my head around this. You can be a witch and be a heathen, but not be a heathen and a witch, or do they both go back and forth? Oh, you could be whatever you can be the fuck you want. You can identify. Like today, how- I'm a cabbage. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm a cabbage, and I do so, cabbage things. <laughs> excellent! I caught you on yeah. such a great day, right? <laughs> so now you said heathens love chaos magic. No, um, no, they don't. No, it just seems chaos magic at heart it's by that se- whole like you're not the boss of me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you're also doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah, like the okay. So when I'm in a, a ritual with a like the covens that I've been in, it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like very strict rules. And like you said, calling in the quarters and we're doing all this stuff and a heathen ritual, like you did explain some of those steps, you know, that are sort of similar, but they're, uh, do, would you say they're a little looser with their quote unquote rules? Depends on the one in charge. So mm-hmm. again, there's lots of ways to get into this. 
in the early development of modern heathenry, there was things taken from Wicca and witchcraft and masonry and everything else because there was few resources really to to do what you wanted to do. They just knew that they were feeling called to honor northern gods and goddesses. Generally, yeah. it was what they were after back then. So a lot of these older heathens do not like this because <laughs> they do something called the hammer right. And I like the hammer right. I think it works fine. I'm not opposed to being in a ritual with a coven of witches and doing it their way either. That makes me a little different than a lot of heathens. The hammer right is, you know, stop me if this sounds familiar. Hammer of the north, ward and protect this holy stead. Hammer of the south, ward and protect this holy yeah. stead. You know? Sounds the same. <laughs> sounds pretty familiar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So almost the same. Um, they're 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 taking the idea of a sacred object and symbol within heathenry. I mean, yeah. I wear a Mjolnir pendant around my neck every day, and it's a very sacred sign. It makes things sacred. So visualizing and drawing this symbol in a in a space and creating space out of it is perfectly fine as an expression of heathen ritual and setting sacred space. But do not mistake that. This is not something you were going to travel back in time and find pre-conversion times. Very unlikely. I'll just float that out there. We we don't ever know for sure because those people didn't write anything down. Right. But we've got a pretty good guess. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, you could have that. Other rituals that you might go to just say, okay, everybody stand in a circle and the residing priest or priestess or whatever is going to do their thing and you get instructions on how much you participate or not as it goes along others start with chanting runes and going into it from there and may or may not call some sort of sacred space but yeah i would say 90 percent of the rituals i've attended don't do any don't use like the hammer right you don't see it much anymore and there's no like calling a circle there's no calling quarters or guardians although like um when diana paxson for instance is running rituals at troth moot which i presume she does it the same way for her kindred out in california the rothnar kindred um they call on like the dwarves in in that are found in nordic myth specific dwarves that mean east west north and south are supposed to be holding up the world so i mean Again, that's similar to creating some kind of sacred space with calling, you know, beings in certain directions or, or, or something similar to what Wiccan and witchcraft do. There are others who call on, you know, inspired by what was found in myth, they'll call on like um, fire and ice mm. as energies to come together and, and make the space sacred so everyone can be full of that creative potential and so on that you find hearkening back to what in heathen lore says was the beginning of the multiverse. So back to that original question, <clears throat> solo practitioner versus. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So no, no order. It's not an order. That, no, it's not an that's order. An or, that's an organization that that's you're a, Masons. <laughs> a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, or the, some of the witches. Yeah. I've been yeah. in an order. Have you? Yeah. An order and a coven. I, I stood I, in line for a long time once. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, I am all along that spectrum. It depends what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and where yeah. I'm doing it at. The bulk of my practice, magical practice, is solo, completely solitary. 
However, I, I have this group of people that I work with on one hand for, you know, like we do sorcery experiments, mostly for the benefit of each other. I have another group that has a blaze crew, you know, the chaos heathens that we wrote, the has a blaze, a blaze compendium. We used to be a kind of a think tank. And then we, the book was born out of that. That's kind of a group effort that I've worked with. I ha- I'm part of an ADF Grove in Champaign, Illinois, the Prairie Sky Grove, that we hold public rituals around the, the wheel of the year, the common neo-pagan wheel of the year. That's a group that I'm involved with. You know, like I, I have groups mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I have my solo practice, which is way more magical than religious devotional ritual stuff. Yeah. What would you say was the earliest weird shit that happened during, I mean, was it your, your dad falling off the ladder? Was that the first thing that you felt that you made happen with magic? Yeah. That was the first thing I felt like I did with magic for sure. Yeah. And then, you know, when you were in your early years, what was one of the weirdest thing that's ever happened, you know, and you were like possibly scared even. I have a problem with scared. I don't no. get scared like other people do. <laughs> I don't. And I think that's kind of because I came out of a situation where I don't know, maybe it was beat out of me to a point. I get nervous or anxious sometimes, but I don't get scared. One of the strangest things when I was young there's a guy that I got him started hanging out with, with another couple of dudes. <clears throat> and we were trying, <laughs> this is funny thinking back on it. We were trying to get possessed. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> As a 16 year old kid does. <laughs> uh, we were trying to get possessed. We were testing out astral projection. Like we would lock each other in a, like a back bedroom. And mm-hmm. then tarot cards of all things got her hands on some tarot cards somewhere along the way and would put a card out on the table and see if we could see it right i was dog shit at this i sucked (laughs) (laughs) but there was one guy who ironically enough is now a christian minister um he was really good at it like way better than chance good at it dang yeah and this is like 1992 93 we didn't have cell phones <laughs> like to cheat <laughs> um, it'd be like somebody's getting out their pager <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> six of cups <laughs> yeah he was really good at it uh one of the other guys that was involved he got really into um satanism he wasn't satisfied with like levey's satanic bible which really is this weird book that can't seem to make up its mind. Are you an atheist that likes like dark clothes and naked <laughs> chicks on your altar? Or do you really believe in magic? I can't tell. He, I don't know where he found it. I don't know what he got his hands on necessarily. He just got into like the darker, creepier, scarier, anything he could find like that. It was his jam. This is all had me scratching my head still today. I haven't made up my mind still what happened and it it is part of those things that fueled me to go forward though Mm -hmm. we went to go visit some friends at a house the group of three guys going to visit three girls we're all 16 17 years old so we get to the porch and he was complaining the whole time there's something fucking with me like whatever dude and he's like i'm not kidding it's fucking after me it's fucking with me but it did get cold around him like there were signs that something was definitely nearby you would feel uneasy as we were making the drive over, we get out of the car, we're walking up to the door and he says, 
it's not going to leave me alone or something to that effect. I wish I could remember exactly what he said now. What I do remember was from the steps up to the front door of this house, back to the road where we had parked parallel against the curb was probably, I don't know, 10 feet, something like that of grass. Mm -hmm. He says he feels sick and suddenly he is off his feet and launched back across that yard way more than he could have ever jumped on his own. Nothing else happens. He gets up, says it's gone now. (laughs) He maintained that it was some kind of demon. Uh, I don't know, maybe, but I can't, I don't know. (laughs) That's what bothers me. I don't know (laughs) because I maintain to this day that the majority of the time interacting with ghosts and things like that won't cause you any real physical harm, but there are things that will fuck you up. And he found something. I don't know how, I don't know where he found it. It's one of those things that puzzles me still to this day. And it, it had me fucked up the rest of that night. Because you kept thinking, well, if it threw him across the yard, oh, is it coming for us next? What's yeah. it going to do? What the fuck is it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> what are you? So did yeah. and your friend, your the third dude, did he also witness it? Yeah. yeah. We we're all standing there and we saw it. It wasn't too long after that, that the guy who was really good with all the astral projection, the psychic stuff that we, I mean, we got one of those, again, one of those little nineties paperbacks that said, you know, develop your psychic mm-hmm. powers. I remember yeah. it was blue with a white font. I don't remember the name. Mm-hmm. So we, of course, we're going to try all this shit. <laughs> and he was really, really good at it. Now I'm thinking about it. after that, he didn't want anything to do with anything. And freaked him it wasn't, out. wasn't much longer that he ended up in, in some church and. Now he's a minister, has been for like 20 years. Yeah. And so. you went the opposite way. It, it oh, like yeah. tickled like, your brain. And yeah. You, it's like yeah. sitting at a poker table. I'm like, I'm all in. I don't what, care. <laughs> what was that? I want to name it. I want to hold it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to send it after my enemies. <laughs> you really were angry. <laughs> I was mad at a motherfucker when I was a teenager. Oh, I was mad. I was really lucky, actually, between delving into the occult and all that stuff and just Certain friends, their parents were like remarkable human beings when it came to guiding kids out of trouble. You know, so you just talked about you and your your dudes wanting to get possessed. Let's talk about Hellier. There was this dude in the hotel room, and and well, I don't want to hibbit hibbit it because I know we have to be careful what we're allowed to say. Hibbit it, hibbit hibbit it. I'll just say this: the dude is in the hotel room. A lot of my listeners have watched this. And the goal is to sort of get him not possessed, but abducted by aliens. Yeah. Like that's That's kind of the goal. Okay. So that is the goal. Tell me what you're allowed to tell me. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me what you're allowed to tell me and my my cute little listeners. All right. Let me get the chart. No. (laughs) (laughs) I I want that chart if you have it. That was actually filmed in 2011 or 12, I think somewhere around there for a film project that Greg and Dana Newkirk and Jason and another guy for uh, something they called planet weird. And it was like going to be this whole series. They did a Indiegogo campaign to raise a bunch of money to do it. And they never did it. They filmed a lot of content, but they never did it. And they clearly sat on that material because they were going to do something with it. You know, it was clear even when I met them back then, they wanted to make some kind of show. I mean, that was the direction they were obviously heading. They they pulled it off and they pulled it off really well. During that whole thing, I had written a couple articles for them on their snarky little site called Who Forded. <laughs> and <clears throat> I love that. 
you know? <laughs> so good. <laughs> and then um, they were they were doing all this stuff for Planet Weird, and they were talking about what they were doing anyway. I was emailing back and forth with Greg, and we're I was just kind of curious what they were going to do about aliens because they were like going for looking for Bigfoot and interviewed some guy who thinks he's a vampire, and you know, like any kind of weird, strange, fringe sort of thing. And they were all in trying to track it down. And they were going to talk to people who thought they'd been abducted. I don't know if they ever did. I suggested that why don't we hypnotize somebody to think they've been abducted so I can show how like false memories are created in these scenarios, how the hypnotist or the psychologist typically leads the, the subject into beliefs of things that did not happen and have fun with it. See what happens because why not? Right. Yeah. So we're all into weird stuff. I'm a hypnotist. Let's do it. And they came here, got a hotel room at um, what was then, I think, a Holiday Inn. Now it's called Sweet Dreams, I think. I'm going to give away all the the extras to hell you're now so they can get all <laughs> these weird people showing up wanting to take pictures and go with EVP meters <laughs> and shit. <laughs> so I'll give you the address. I think it was room 301 because we, we called it or 201. I'll have to look back because we called it that project. Anyway, curious enough at work, I'm working on something called the 301 Project. <laughs> Synchronicities, aren't they That's fun? That's weird. Yeah. So I go to the hotel room. They're all in there. And we had a long discussion about hypnosis and weird shit that we're all into and whatnot. I was doing something that's called priming. I was periodically like steering a conversation in a certain direction to see who would be the best subject for this experiment. Because they're all friends. I kind of know Greg. I don't really know anyone else because he's the one I've communicated with the most. Got to know Jason really quick. He was the one that ended up being the subject for the experiment. Jason's a really interesting guy. I mean, they all are, right? Except Dana. She's not an interesting guy. <laughs> She's an interesting woman. But Jason? Jason was told me he was really into lucid dreaming and, and things of that nature. So I knew he was already like doing experiments with his consciousness, basically. I conducted what's called suggestibility testing in hypnosis, and I just tested him out with fun little, like, do your hands float? Do they get stuck? That kind of stuff. He was really good at it. Actually, they all were pretty good at it. Uh, but he was obviously the one. So off we go to the races and we do our little experiment. I didn't know what like the tone was going to be when we were developing this experiment. And I may be slightly responsible for the how dark it got. <laughs> yeah. Well, I spent like two days watching Darren Brown's Svengali special over and over and over and over and over again. And it's all about you know, like this haunted doll that comes to life and mm -hmm. and it's all tricks of the mind of course because it's darren brown so i walked into that room fresh off of like binge watching that kind of special over and over and over again when we started working on it i don't i mean i don't recall i don't think they show all of what we did but before we did any regression work i set up what's called a safe space and anytime you're going to do regression work, you, you need somewhere where the client can go immediately to somewhere where they feel good, where they feel safe and so on. I learned this when I was learning techniques that are called the affect bridge and hypnosis, where you're regressing someone to the initial sensitizing event. And I don't use that stuff with my clients. I don't think it's necessarily helpful. It's too risky to create false memories. This was designed as an experiment to create false memories on purpose. So I was clear, you know, like before any of us do this, you may believe that this really happened to you for some time. It will wear off. 
and I will help you with anxiety or anything that arises out of this for free, no charge, so on and so forth. Um, but it could happen. You could have this little thorn that sticks in your brain. So this isn't required. You don't have to do it. Like there were plenty of disclaimers up ahead. Like, you know what you're getting into, right? It's the surgeon general warning on the side of a pack of cigarettes. No one's going to feel sorry for you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so off we go to the races. I set up the safe space. I remember his was triggered by the word grandpa, like just to say grandpa. And he would immediately go to that spot where he felt great. He felt comfortable. He felt safe and secure. When I triggered her at the end of it, I mean, like he was visibly upset. So I was like, this isn't going to go on anymore. This has to stop. And I said, grandpa, and he immediately, you could see it in his body, relaxed, his face relaxed. Like he, it all just went back to where he was feeling safe and secure. I seeded suggestions along the way, you know, like, <laughs> like you, you find it like you're standing there watching this thing and you know, someone's going to get taken or you're going to get taken, you know, just fueling those kinds of things that you do not do when you regress somebody under hypnosis, you know, suggesting that when it's all said and done, that somebody's missing, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that kind of stuff. It's, it's all planted in the brain as you go along doing it. I've, I've seen where people are suggesting that, including Greg, I've heard him say it on other shows that well, even suggested it kind of in Hellier that maybe there was some kind of experience that happened to Jason while that was all going on. Now, in hypnosis, one thing we I warn people, and I've heard it well throughout my profession, is the brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. It will take what's imagined and make it feel real, right? So there's no doubt that he had the kind of experiences in his imagination that raised his heart rate, caused him to sweat, dealt him a little anxiety and some fear. And when the fear began, like visibly really began as fear, that's when we took him out. Do I think that he was visited by anything in particular? No, I don't. I just, I just don't. I I know how to engineer that sort of experiment too. It was developed as an experiment to create false memories. But why? Mission successful. <laughs> so why would Hellier, why would they want that on the show? Why would that, how does that correlate to the rest of the show? I've never been quite clear on why, because watching the show, I'm not sure why you take this hypnosis experiment where someone's been abducted, you know, we try to induce an induction or induce an abduction by aliens into someone's imagination. Why is that part of the arc of the story for Hellier? I don't, I don't necessarily know. I don't know if it fits into the overall arc. You'd have to ask Greg yeah. and, and Dana and them. They know more about why they include this or that. I know part of the Hellier show is to, to showcase that like there are way more options available to you investigating the paranormal and the strange than yeah. than having infrared cameras and night vision you know like, there's so much more that you can do and they're not necessarily starting off looking for spirits or ghosts or aliens even they're looking for goblins stories <laughs> of goblins in yeah. caves you know like that's where the whole joke one star no goblins comes from yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. They're sitting on the footage and, and for them, they probably think it fits in the overall narrative. Yeah. Somehow it's an experiment of the mind. It's it's trying to tap into. I mean, we created it. I was 
to prove that you can plant these false memories in people. It's not, it's not presented as that kind of experiment when it's put into hell here though. So I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. fun. I'm, I'm honored to have been part of it in any way. Yeah. Uh, I just don't, I don't, I still haven't quite puzzled out where that fits into the arc of the story, the narrative. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, just even hearing you talk about it, maybe it's to show that later on when you do hypnosis with the others that you're not, that it, that it's not suggestive, but like you said, it, it doesn't really. Yeah. Well, the hypnosis, yeah. The experiment with Carl in episode nine is different. So Greg hit me up and says, Hey, you know, you want to do another experiment with hypnosis? I'm like, I'm down. And what we cooked up was, can we induce someone into any kind of trance state to see if they can access something unknown about their case, their investigation that's mm-hmm. actionable, that's real, that, that comes up later in their investigation. And with that, people try that shit all the time. It's called trance divination, right? <laughs> it's it's not uncommon. Off we go. I got to film this and uh, we filmed this in Somerset, Kentucky. Well, it wasn't actually in Somerset proper. It was just outside of Somerset in an Airbnb. They ex- experiment with episode nine. Greg wanted to do something else along those lines. And I think it's fun. Why not? I'm happy to help. And I think it's important too to understand when I go to do this second experiment, they'd already filmed most of what you see in season two. This okay. was an afterthought. Like we need a little bit more. They were there in that place in Somerset to do the ritual in that cave at the end. Oh, wow. So, yeah, wow. it was filmed around there somewhere. Uh, I had to leave before they did that. I wasn't included in any of that fun. They didn't divulge any of the story or the investigation or any of that to me. They hinted. And when I got there at the house, I'm like, one of the first things I noticed was a stack of books in the kitchen. And there's like Crowley and shit like that sitting there. I I noticed a, a, an absence of Robert Anton Wilson. I mean, like, if you're going to talk about synchronicities, how can you not have cosmic triggers sitting over there? You know, like if you're going to look for beans, it might be goblins or fairies or elves or anything like that. Like, why aren't you, why didn't somebody Morgan Daimler sitting there? That's what I was wondering. So I knew they were on a different kind of track. I just wasn't sure. And that's one thing about Hellier. And they're pretty honest about it too. Is like, ultimately after the goblins are sort of ruled out, it becomes more about David Christie and Terry wrist. And what are they really looking for? And they're just sort of chasing synchronicities. And it's fun to watch as they go along. I was a different hypnotist going into that. When I go into that, I'm already a professional hypnosis instructor, for instance, like I've developed my skills and my career enough to be, at that level, I'd helped hundreds of people with all sorts of problems from smoking, stress and anxiety and that kind of thing. Since we had done that alien abduction experiment, I developed uh, techniques that were so different from what I would have done prior to this time. So it was just different. My whole approach was different. They chose Carl to go through that because Carl had, well, they had their reasons. He, he was the guy behind the camera. He'd seen everything. I thought to myself, that's not a bad idea. He's kind of like, he is the witness to it all, right? He's the one putting it all together. If there's something that they all missed or didn't catch, he's going to catch it when he's doing all the filming, editing, and production of the show. But then they strapped him with like a GoPro to his chest and cameras in his face. And (laughs) it was, it couldn't have been any like less relaxing <laughs> we might as well put his <laughs> foot in a bucket of hot water or something you know like, <laughs> so 
I mean, I could tell when he was going through it. He he got into the lightest of light trance states and it would leave him and he'd go back and leave him and go back and leave him go back. There was a, a brief period of time where I thought he was at a nice level place where we could do some work. And it was just, it kind of went that way. And afterwards he said that he was imagining he was in like a huge library and any question I would ask him, he'd run off to grab a book and see if he could find the answer in there and then come back and tell us. And it was noted that like, you know, you could hear these footsteps going back and forth upstairs while we were doing the thing, which was interesting. That's true. Yeah, it was yeah. interesting. So I don't but remember. Why didn't if... they keep, I don't think they keep that part in about the library though. No, I don't think they did. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, for that brief time in the episode, you see that like that whole thing went on all night. Like it was. How many was, hours? Well, not just him, but like I, Connor, we also hypnotized Connor. After we went through all that thing with Carl, I thought it was really cool. And it was like, I, I was really stoked to meet Carl. He's a really interesting guy. And I kind of followed his career along all the way back to his ghost hunter days. He's just a really good guy. And he's very nice. He's very, he clearly has a great eye for what to do in film. And I hope, I hope film becomes his mega career. I remember where he told me where he was working while he was filming all this stuff. And I just kept saying, they don't deserve you. <laughs> and I meant it. I still do. Yeah. I, ho- I hope filming has become like a viable real career for him now. So anyway, we get done with that and, you know, we do the, the review afterwards and everybody's talking and it's suggested that maybe Connor should try it as well, because these guys de- sort of perfected, developed this thing called the Estes method where they yeah. do real like audio and sort of sensory deprivation for people who may not know, you know, they blindfold themselves in a way that they cannot see anything. They use noise canceling headphones. So they, hopefully they're not going to be hearing the questions that are asked of them. And then they plug that into like an SB seven radio device and answer questions from someone that they can't hear, you know, it's just based on what they're hearing in the headphones and it produces some curious results. So yeah, my thought is, you know, hearing that constant, leads them into some kind of trance yeah and connor is really really good at it so connor agrees to go through this kind of ride and we kicked everyone out of the room like greg dana and tyler all went upstairs they away from what we were doing we turned the lights down low like we made a real cool relaxing situation for connor and it was just him and carl those guys are brothers in every way that matters like they couldn't be more comfortable with each other. So that was fine. And Carl did the filming and I did the hypnotizing and Connor went on the ride and he took a, he took a real interesting trip and none of that made it into the film. And again, I don't know how relevant any of what came out of these experiences were to the case. I didn't know what direction to necessarily steer them. When I was working with Carl, Greg kept coming up to my side and he'd whisper, you know, like, ask about Terry wrist, you know, ask about David Christie, ask about, you know, and I'm Mm -hmm. thinking, okay. And I'm getting a clue, like maybe what they're looking into for Hellier, like the overall case, Mm -hmm. but I don't really know like what, what's led them to Somerset. Why are they here? What are they going to do tomorrow? I don't know. They just told me I had to be gone by a certain time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When, when I got there, there's these helmets, their helmets with the, the flashlights and shit on them for caves. Mm-hmm. Like just sitting on a table lined up. I'm like, 
that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, a stack of Crowley books and, and, yeah. <laughs> and headlamps. <laughs> it's a wild yeah. ride. It's an honor. I like hanging out with those guys. They are very well read, very interesting people, and their theories are equally as interesting. And I don't always agree with them, and that's fine. I, I like living in a world where we don't all agree with each other. It helps you see other people's perspective. So, yeah, it was really cool to be part of Hellier. I'm not sure what my contribution really gave to Hellier necessarily. It was it was fun to to show people who watched it that hypnosis is cool. It's, it, it can do it's different cool. things. And, <laughs> and if you want to experience being abducted by aliens, it costs $35,000. And no. <laughs> <laughs> but you could break it up into three yeah, payments of that's right three easy payments of. <laughs> have you ever had an experience like a, a paranormal experience directly i know you said you saw the dude fly across the lawn <laughs> you and maybe one of your solitary practicing moments where you're just like that was something that that i can't explain i mean all the if time you, if you want to <laughs> boil this stuff down you can't explain a lot of it I mean, we plant our theories and our ideologies on stuff, but ultimately we don't know why or what. I'll tell you one experience that was really impactful for me. It was probably the one of the strangest things that ever happened to me because I missed it when it happened. I missed the importance of it in the in the moment. The ADF during our rituals, there's always a part where you take, they say you're taking the omens. Right. So you've opened the ways, you've made offerings, you've done the whole big point. And now it comes to the point where you're like, okay, what message are we to receive from the spirits and the gods and whatever that have come to us? What do they want in return? You know, so I took the omen and I told the grove in attendance what I thought it meant for everyone. And someone in the group goes, wow, and looks up. And I look up and there's a hawk being chased by two little like, are they called chickadees or whatever those little little mm -hmm. birds being chased and the hawk is being chased i'm like that's cool that's strange back to what i'm doing and i i go on about my business when i get home i go about my day doing my thing i get my email and at that time i was part of something called the rune guild i'd been in the rune guild for a long time and they had made an announcement in the guild that stephen mcnallen had been promoted to master of the guild among you know the people who are recognized as masters in the guild. Stephen McNallan is what I call the David Duke of heathenry. <laughs> He's a racist, bigoted piece of shit. He's not worth the flesh he's printed on, period. I loathe that man and everything he stands for. I, I didn't want to be part of anything that had anything at all to do with Stephen McNallan, especially being honored in such a way. So I sent a resignation of my initiation, everything that I had associated with the Rune Guild, and I bailed. And I got to thinking about it later, mostly because I contacted, before I resigned, I contacted um, a friend of mine, Kim Huggins. She's a tarot author and helped create some decks. She's been a very good friend of me over the years. And when I just can't puzzle something out, and I don't do it often, but I like to go to Kim because she's well-read. She's well-studied. She's well-traveled. She she can help see maybe an avenue of thought that I'm not going to see because I'm too emotionally attached, right? Yeah. I think all of us who are professional in some way with divination and things like that should have someone that we go to for the, the hard stuff just for different perspective. So anyway, we talk it all out and 
I kept thinking about the reading that I had, the, the omens that I drew, and the hawk being chased by the two birds. So when small birds like that chase a hawk or a falcon, they are basically defending their territory. They're they're chasing a predator away. It's a warning. And I not that I think nature just turned itself upside down to give me a specific omen. I think there are much like synchronicities happening happen. There are we get in frequency with certain yeah. things. And and certain events might happen within that frequency that we'll notice. You're not going to be attached or or able to notice everything. And that thing was pulled into my frequency and awareness. And I kept thinking about that's a warning of danger. That's a warning that things are not good. That's a warning that there is a dangerous predator on the loose and so mm-hmm. on. And then the runes I drew were manas, dagas. And Ansu. And I read them as Manas being a message from the ancestors and Dagas being from the nature spirits and Ansu's being a, na- a message from the gods for the grove. But then I kept thinking about it at the timing of the omen, what happened later, the runes that I pulled. I don't think I was reading for the group. I think I read yeah. those were for me. And I th- reinterpreted what I thought about it and realized it's like, being true to yourself, being awake and aware, really taking a risk and communicating what you mean clearly. And I was just like, oh man, it was this culmination within my practices and an omen in nature that coincided with what was going on. It revealed that I was, when I say I left the Rune Guild, this is like someone deciding who's been raised Christian their whole life, that they're not going to be a member of their church anymore. It was that level of importance to me. So that was a big deal. And it was just, like I said, it was something that was so in sync with everything that I do, my skills, noticing the omens in a sacred space after I made offerings to ancestors, gods, and so on, that I'm getting this message and this omen comes through. And then something like that happens, a direct challenge to everything that I stand for. I mean, you remember me talking about oaths and being important to heathens when you're an officer or any kind of leader in the troth, you have to take an oath. A part of that oath is not being part of anything that promotes racism or bigotry or any of that nature. And I couldn't separate the Rune Guild anymore from that kind of shit. If you're going to unanimously among the masters of the guild name such a vile person to be among you, that that was reprehensible to me and unforgivable. So off I went. Good for you for staying true to yourself. What about fairies? Fae, fairies, what do you work with them? Do you think that they're real? Are they interdimensional? Yes. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. yes. Okay, so there you you do work with them. So this is this is a little bit more your realm. How do you work with them? Um, through offerings. That's my approach to a lot of the spirit sort of thing for them there's just specific times and places that i work with them it's generally an offering of flowers water apples i think apples are a big thing for for the elves and the fairies not sure why i interact with them through like rock formations one of my favorite things to do is go especially near bodies of water for some reason. So like local lakes and rivers, if I can find enough larger rocks and then form them into like a little mound of sorts Mm -hmm. and pour water on it. And then I call to specific beings in their realm that I like to work with and make an offering and ask a favor and see what happens. What about like any visions or visitations from them, visual or auditory? 
I don't see them. I don't, I don't hear them physically, any of them like spirits, fairies, anything. I don't see them or hear them necessarily in my practice. I do get a sense of them. I'd like, a, I call it a knowing, like, I just mm-hmm. kind of know you feel it mm-hmm. and you know that you're interacting with something. I will get visions in, in my mind. And I may have a conversation like trance is a big part of my work. Obviously, <laughs> I like sense. to go into I like to go into trance states and then I have a whole stage sort of thing that I set up. This is where we start and this is how where we will interact. And that is the rule. And what I see within that trance is just how my mind can puzzle out the energy and the force that I'm connecting to. Yeah. I don't think I have an accurate view at all. I mean, Jason Miller said once. And I thought that just nails the whole spectrum of it. He said, he's like, like, could you ever really say the real name of an angel? Do you have enough tongues? You know, like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. That, that's kind of where I'm at with all of it, with visions yeah. and messages and everything. Like, I'm just getting what my my brain and body and, and soul bits are, are capable of puzzling out. None of us are going to get the whole picture. I don't think, I mean, physically speaking, we don't even see all the spectrums of light. Yeah. we. It's, so, it's not really possible. Right. And even if it was, our ideas of reality are so limited. These brains are like really incredible, but they're also so incredibly limited. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, as far as like interdimensional beings and stuff and how they're operating within space and time. That's literally unfathomable for us. We want to try to like put it in a box and every time we do, it just kind of like slips away, I feel. Yeah. So we're about to go on, do this documentary we're filming for about two-ish weeks, a little over if you add the like last two days. It's a big deal. For me, especially because it's the first one that I'm I've ever developed on my own. And I've been wanting to do something like this for a really long time. And I'm carefully selecting all of the people. You know, I want it to feel like this ride that we're going on. Do you have any recommendations for how you would prepare for something like that energetically? For like a project like this, I would focus on road opening. Lots and lots of road opening. And that can take whatever form feels most beneficial to you. Maybe you have certain gods or goddesses or something you work with that have that road opening quality. You know, like think of barrier breakers, people who open roads, people who travel amongst the worlds, you know, like Odin's known to travel amongst all the worlds. Freya is known to do her thing. Ganesha is a very popular breaking the walls down kind of god for people in chaos magic. So that's where you could get divine stuff involved. You can make offerings to your allies in general. You should be doing that every day anyway. That's something that I do. Just general offerings to the spirits who help a guide and protect me. Here you go. Thank you. Open the roads for me. Would you <laughs> remove mm-hmm. obstacles from my path and do that kind of thing and do it daily. If you're traveling as part of this, going to other areas, I would mm-hmm. b- introduce yourself to the local spirits. Usually the first thing I'll do is do some research like who were important historical figures there and go maybe make an offering at their grave, you know, that kind of stuff. Or go to the the biggest damn tree in the biggest park in town and stay high and tell them what you're up to. And it sure would be nice if you wouldn't get in the way and here's some clean water and, you know, help us out. Would you, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would, that's what I would do personally is just and- road opening work. What about getting like the team connected? I have my own ideas, but I'm just curious, like and energetically connected with one another. Mm, the bar drinking. The bar. 
I mean, that does work. I'm telling you. <laughs> really, like, you can make diehard friends doing that. Yes. You most certainly can. Yes, you yes. Think I'm kidding. I'm not. I know. <laughs> I know you're not. <laughs> Anything yeah, I mean, you can all sit around and hold hands and chant and shit if you want. Well, I just true. think beer, liquor, and shots help move that process along a lot faster. All right. Cool. Well, Lonnie, Scott, <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about all this weird shit awesome yeah i'll come back yeah. anytime for any reason we can awesome. talk about anything you want all right lonnie do you have any last minute words for your Ad- listeners advice yeah you can mm. find me everywhere i'm super grateful to have been on this show subscribe to the follow the woo patreon now <laughs> not later <laughs> right yeah. now <laughs> got a project to fund here people shit that's right you. thank you i appreciate that all right yeah. lonnie well, you have a good day. Thank you so much for your, for taking the time to chat with me. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. See you later. Stay weird. Stay weird. <laughs> Stay right. fucking weird. Stay weird. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. All right. Well, that's my long overdue chat with Lonnie. Again, I am not editing this outro so forgive me please and i apologize in advance (laughs) definitely check out weird web radio it's a great podcast those links will always be in the show notes for this episode also if you're wanting to get a hypnotism session lonnie is awesome highly recommended i've worked with him directly even my mom has worked with him he is incredible for all kinds of woo hypnotism now he can also do quitting smoking and things like that as well so you don't have to just go the woo route but that's what we're talking about here so that's what i would recommend him for because most hypnotists that i've experienced aren't able to go too far into the woo category they just kind of don't know how to cross over so when you find a gem like Lonnie, you stick with him. You stick by his side. Anyway, what else? I think that might be it. I think I should go to bed now and after I take some NyQuil. You all are amazing. Shh, Hilda, be quiet. That's my cat. I will have more episodes for you that are amazing and weird and full of wooery and just, I don't know, do the best you can. Love you. Bye. Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 